Listener Production. Robin Sharma is considered to be one of the top five leadership experts in the world. His work has been embraced by rock stars, royalty, CEOs and billionaires. A writer and humanitarian, he's grown wise through his work on human flourishing. Robin says, make your faith larger than your fears and your dreams bigger than your doubts. In this intimate conversation, Robin and I discuss the 5am club, a series of mental frameworks for morning and daily routines, the struggles of success and the power of heartbreak. The more times life broke my heart, the more I suffered, the more my ego got cracked and my true strength and my true humanity and authenticity saw the light of day. A bad day for the ego is a great day for the soul. I'm Sarah Grimberg, and this is A Life of Greatness. Working as a podcast and radio producer, I have been fortunate enough to cross paths with many intriguing people who have had a profound impact on me. In this series, I share stories and experiences from the people who have brought inspiration to my life and hopefully yours too. Robin Sharma is the author of many books, including The Monk Who Sold His Ferrari, The Greatness Guide, and his most recent book, The 5am Club. With over 15 million books sold, Robin is regarded as one of the world's most celebrated writers. In this episode, you will learn the morning habits that lead to self-transformation. How were the younger years for you? What was it like growing up in the Sharma family? Oh, what what a great question, Sarah. Um, I have wonderful parents, you know. I think um, it's if your parents are alive, I think it's really important to honor them. My dad is going to be 83 in June. My mother is going to be 80 in August. And uh, just wonderful human beings. I mean, I believe a lot in mentorship. And my father was def- has definitely been one of the great mentors of my life. So I would say growing up in the Sharma household, uh, we, it was a home full of books. Mm. And I think a home full of books is a great home. It was a home full of a lot of support. But like a lot of immigrant families, there was a lot of, um, there was a big push to succeed. There was a big push to either be a doctor. I had a choice. Either you'd be a doctor or you'd be a lawyer. Maybe you get to be an engineer. And um, as I got into my 20s, I realized that sort of backfired on me. I was successful, but very empty. And we can get into that. But overall, you know, I had a very, very strong childhood. And tell me, you did obviously follow the path of becoming a lawyer, and that's obviously not where you are today. Why did you choose that, and what made you eventually leave that profession to do what you're doing now? Well, I think um, I got into law for all of the wrong reasons. I got into law, first of all, because that was the messaging of the people around me who said, if you become a lawyer, you're going to wake up happy and successful. And I, as I mentioned, I became successful. I was a litigator. I had a, you know, a good position. I was making a great income. I had a lot of nice toys. But I'd wake up every morning and I'd look in the mirror and I didn't like the man who was looking back at me. And, you know, I mean, I, I've mentored a lot of billionaires, a lot of NBA stars, a lot of big footballers. And there are a lot of people who are very successful, but they're very empty and dissatisfied and discouraged and um, depleted. And that's no success at all. So what I did was I decided to 
rethink my life. And I didn't like the way that I was looking, so I started to make some changes. And so let's get into that. What were the changes that you made that led you on the path that you have successfully walked today? Well, it it wasn't a revolution. It wasn't one day I woke up with this epiphany. And I know that happens to some people. But to me, Sarah, it was sort of um, transformation by a thousand cuts, you know. Mm -hmm. So I just, you know, I'm a very curious person. And one thing I learned from my father, and I I talk about this in the 5am club, but it's the 2x, 3x mindset. And and basically, it's, it's never lose your white belt mentality. You know, never lose that holy curiosity to use Einstein's term. And I've always been very hungry to learn. And so I started experimenting with meditation. I started interviewing wealthy people. I interviewed elders who, who seem to be very happy. I read a lot of the great philosophical books, whether it was um, the meditations of Marcus Aurelius from the great Roman emperor to uh, great autobiographies like um, the story of my experiments with truth by Mahatma Gandhi. I started um, meditating. I started exercising more. I started doing acupuncture, hypnosis. I just started experimenting with all these different modalities. And that led me down this path of personal transformation. Um, In the book, I talk about, everyone's talking about mindset right now. Mm. What I've realized, everyone says that, like, you know, mindset is everything. But in the 5am club, I, I introduced the concept of four interior empires. And I think they're very important because we, we live in a world where everything is supposedly mindset. But I think that's only 25% of the human equation because mindset is our psychology. As human beings, we also have what I call our heart set, which is our emotionality. And unless you start to work on that, you're going to carry a lot of sorrow or anger. Uh, and then there's not only mindset and heart set, there's health set, mm. which is our physica- which is our physicality, which is you know, exercising is definitely a game changer. And then there's this word I introduced called soul set, the fourth interior empire, which is our spirituality. And that's not a dirty word. And it's, it's only until you get all four, you start to work on all four of those interior empires that you start to see the ex- external empires that so many of us are seeking, like creativity, productivity. Uh, uh, financial success and, uh, you know, the nice things of an outer life. So going into your fabulous book, The 5am Club, let's talk about it. What, what is it about 5am that is that fabulous time to wake up and start your day? Well, there, there, there's a bunch of things. First of all, it's in a world of amazing distraction. It's the t- quietest time of the day. Mm. And you can only you can only know this if you experience it, Sarah. But there is a magic in the air between four and six a.m. Yeah, it is just so right. Um, and if we were to go back to ancient times in India, there's a reason why the great yogis, the great monks, the great sages, uh, even a lot of the great writers of of history, a lot of the great statesmen, straight stateswomen. They got up early because this is the time of greatest peace where you can be most intimate with your best ideas. You can be most intimate with your best self. So one of the things is just it's so quiet. The second thing is the Spartan warriors used to say, sweat more in training and you'll bleed less in war. Mm. That really applies to the world right now where you know economic crisis, obviously the pandemic, massive unemployment, huge industry disruption. So it is a war. And so from five to six, the the time in the book I call the victory hour, 
it's a time to run through your morning routine, the 20-20-20 formula that I explained. Mm. Now, if you were to take five to six, not to check your email, not to check your likes on Instagram or Facebook, not to check whatever, but to actually work on those four interior empires, your mindset, your heart set, your health set, and soul set. So you turn down the voice, your ego, and your weakness, and you increase the voice of your wisdom, and you work on your body, mm. and you work on your spirit, you work on your heart. Well, then, it, and we can get into the neurochemistry. I talk a lot about it in the 5 a.m. club, mm. but you know, it, six o'clock comes and you feel fundamentally different because you've rewired your thinking, your psychology, your emotionality, your physicality, and your spirituality. So, you know, there, I, I could go on, but I just say five to six is a very quiet time. So you give time to yourself. Five to six is a great time to prepare yourself because the way you start your day is the way you live your day. Two, two things that are important, I think. And I personally started doing not exactly what you're saying, the 2020-20 formula. I think I'm partway there. But I started a couple of years ago, probably waking up around that time. And the first thing that I went into was meditation. And then I followed that by exercise. I'm not, I haven't gotten to so much of the journaling yet. But exactly what you say, it completely changed my life. And what a beautiful way to start the day. I do not look at emails. I do not check my phone because as soon as you do, do that, you get pulled down. And this is this beautiful time for you to be in this grace period of just being within yourself. Take us through that 20-20-20 formula that you speak about. Sure. So there's three pockets from five to six. The first 20-minute pocket is move. The second from 520 to 540 is reflect. And the third pocket from 540 to six o'clock is grow. That's why the 2020 mm. formula. Okay, so you get up at five o'clock, and I think the starting point is the research from University College of London. It's all in the book. But I think it's important for, for your followers, your viewers, your listeners to know that the research says, uh, University College London, if you do anything for 66 days in a row, you will reach a point called automaticity. Mm. So, you know, anyone who says, hey, Robin and Sarah, look, I, grandma couldn't get up early, dad couldn't get up early, I just can't win the battle of the bed and I don't have early morning genes, you know, it's just not supported by science. I mean, we are built as human beings to grow. Our brains are built to change. It's called neuroplasticity. So the first thing to remember is stay with the process for 66 days because I say, as I say in the 5am club, all change is hard at first. Of course. It wasn't hard. If it wasn't hard, it wouldn't be great change. Mm. So all change is, it's going to be hard at first and it's going to be messy in the middle. And it's going to be gorgeous at the end. Okay. So what do you do? You get up at five o'clock. The first thing that you want to do is you want to sweat. I love spinning. Uh, I love running on the spot. Uh, I love doing, you know, the military, whatever, the jumping jacks. I love running on a treadmill. I love mountain biking. Why do you want to sweat? I don't know how granular you want to get, but, you know, you want to sweat because it's going to release something that every brain can release. It's called BD BDNF. Mm. Brain-derived neurotrophic factor, which actually promotes neurogenesis, which it means you can actually grow new brain cells. It repairs brain cells damaged by stress. It increases processing time. That's very powerful. 
Exercising in that 20-minute pocket from 5 to 5.20 also releases dopamine. So right now, there's a lot of people depressed. There's a lot of people who are anxious, yeah. a lot of people frustrated. Well, you're going to actually electrify your brain by releasing dopamine so you feel better. Mm. And that's why, by, by the way, when we check for likes, we feel better for a few seconds because of dopamine. You're going to release serotonin, which is the pleasure neurotransmitter. You're going to release oxytocin, which is going to make you feel better. I could go on and on, but simply 20 minutes of exercise means 520, you're going to feel fundamentally different than you did when you first woke up. How valuable is that? Now yes. it's only 520. Exercise makes all the difference. You do a workout and you just feel unbelievable afterwards. So that is definitely a tick. Yeah. You, you, you know, I always say exercise is a game changer. Mm. And the way you feel when you first wake up isn't the way you're going to feel only 20 minutes later. Now it's 520. What do you do for the next 20-minute pocket of the 2020-20 formula that I get deep into in the book? Well, this is where you reflect. A lot of people, especially in a pre-COVID world, were living their lives like a five-alarm fire. Mm. They were busy being busy, but what's the point of being busy about the wrong things? What's the point of living your entire life chasing the things social media or our culture says are important, only to realize when you're old, they weren't really aligned with what you think is important? So now from 520 to 540, what do you do? Well, you said it. You can meditate, which I do every day. It's powerful. Or you can pray, which I do most days. Or you can write in a journal, which has saved my life over the past 25 mm. years. Or you can sit in silence and contemplate. So you can then be more deliberate, more intentional, more aware, more awake as you go through the day. Then the final pocket of the 2020-20 formula is grow and you know, when I mentor the billionaires and the great athletes and the superstars, these people all have one thing in common. They, they never lose their white belt mentality. They love to learn. So now you have 20 minutes where you can listen to an audiobook. You can listen to Sarah's podcast. You can listen to another podcast. You can read a book. Now it's six o'clock. You're going to feel fundamentally different. And as I said, the way you start the day fundamentally drives the way the rest of your day unfolds. Oh, completely. I remember someone I interviewed said this to me a while ago, you win the morning, you win the day. And there's no doubt about that. Can you take us through your experience with going into that? I know you talk about like meditation and a lot of visualization as well as journaling. Can you tell us a bit about what you do in that space at that time? Well, I've, I sort of think the 2020-20 formula is the minimum viable morning routine. So, you know, I usually spend about two hours in the morning working on myself. Mm. And when I, met, when I mentor the billionaires, I mean, I remember one of them, uh, one of the most successful people in North America, he said, I was most successful when I spent three hours every morning in self-development. Yeah. I, spend, so, I think I spend about an hour meditating most mornings. It's You just uh, you get know, used to it, it and it goes in a flash. It, you know, people go, wow, an hour. And you're like, when you've done it for years, it's not, it's barely any time. You know, Mihai Csikszentmihalyi uh, of the University of Chicago, many years ago, came up with a term that we all know now called flow. Mm. And flow, flow is that state of bliss. It's that state when if you're a hockey player, you're just in the pocket. I've been watching that uh, um, last dance. Have you seen the last dance? Yes, I, it's oh, amazing. Oh, yeah, it's, yeah, my son and I have a lockdown ritual every night. We watch one of the episodes. Yeah. But when you when you see Jordan or when you see uh, Pippin mm. or when you see, um, you know, those guys, 
when they were just in the state of magic as they were playing, you know, basket after basket, that's flow. And all I'm trying to suggest is when you start to meditate and you get good at it, an hour can go by in a second because you're in flow. Mm. When I write in my journal, you know, and I just get in the pocket where, you know, I'm out of my ego, I'm out of my head, I'm out of the prefrontal cortex, I'm just in the moment. I'm in flow. And so you're, you, you know, you're right. Once you start to try to meditate more or journal or pray or whatever, and you experience what I call in the 5M called the magic that the great creative people, the great pr- productive people, they knew how to institutionalize flow. Mm. We all can. And I explain the rituals in the book, like the tight bubble, the total focus, the 2020-20 formula. But I guess what I'm incredibly passionate about is these great creative geniuses, these great athletes, these great industry titans, they were not cut from a different cloth. They no. just had different more they had different morning routines. They had they just did different things. And if we could only get our morning routine right and institutionalize flow, then we could experience not only the bliss, but the creativity, productivity, and, and toughness that is required right now to navigate the world that we live in. What are some of the biggest blocks that you have seen from people being able to achieve the 5am club? Uh, they can't get out of their own way. Mm. You know, a, a lot of us suffer from what I call undeservability. I, I would actually say most people on the planet suffer from low self-esteem or what I call undeservability mm. issues because we've got the messaging from our parents, well-intentioned as they were, but it's like, you know, be practical. You can't be whatever. You can't do that. Be reasonable. Or then we go to school and we say, we want to be an astronaut. We want to be an author. We want to be a billionaire. We want to be an athlete. We want to be a teacher, a police officer. And our teachers, well-intentioned, say, you know, you're not smart enough. Mm. Or, you know, then we go out in the world. And our peer, we, we say, I want to be a screenwriter. You know, I want to be an actor. I want to start my own business. I want to run a marathon. And our friends laugh at us. And and day by day, we reverse hypnotize ourselves, Sarah, and we actually start to believe the lies and the doubts and the fears that the world sells us. And I I call it the the crime of self-betrayal. And then we end up at at 25 or 35 or 55 or 75. And someone says, hey, have you tried the 5am club, this morning routine that's changing the world? Like millions of people are using and it's helping them be more successful, more productive, more happy, more at peace, better human beings. And they minimize it. They say, ah, self-help, schmelf, schmelf, melf. They say. I've had that plenty of times. They say, oh, those those gurus are only about money. Mm. Oh, the, and they come up with every excuse in the book and they shoot the messengers mm. because it's very dangerous to embrace a message that that disrupts the way you see the world. So I'd say, number one, the number one reason we don't join the 5 a.m. club is because at a subconscious level, we're, we're, we're terrified of the success we would experience if we did it. So we actually come up with these subconscious excuses Mm. and we actually repeat them so many times we think they're true. Number two, we're not only, we're not only afraid of success. We're terrified of failure. Yes. Because, you know, we don't, we, we fail to understand that the journey to 
failure is the price of greatness and ambition. I mean, you know, I don't want anyone to think right now that I don't fail. I got to tell you, I, I struggle every day. It's, it's a thing called human. How do you deal with that? You know, you're obviously on a big stage and you have been for a long time. And I've interviewed some of the greatest people in the world. And I don't think there's one of them that says they don't struggle with self-doubt. What are the tools that you use to get over that? Well, before I get into the tools, I just want to, I just want to emphasize the power of what you just said. Mm. You know, I mean, please let, let us not fall into the seduction that the billionaires, the icons and the legends that we admire don't suffer. As a matter of fact, what I've learned is in many ways, I had more freedom when I was anonymous. In, in many ways, I, I mean, I, I have to work harder on JPF, Joy, Peace and Freedom now than I did when I was just starting out. Why do you think that you know, is? Jim, well, it's because there are, there are great costs to success. Um, people will be jealous of you. People will attack you. I mean, the 5 a.m. club right now, it's one of the best-selling books in the world. Um, uh, shattered publishing records. But I have to tell you, when it came out 13 months ago, people, a lot of people hated it. Um, Bob Dylan said it really well. He said, don't criticize what you don't understand. Yeah. But what happened, it's a very disruptive book. The models, the philosophies, the neuroscience, the spirituality, the philosophy, the tactics. And so until enough people read it to change the narrative, it was the most interesting thing. Some early readers tried to take the book down. So what I'm trying to say is, um, I, you know, I've written a lot of books, but even now you're faced with critics, mm. you're faced with attackers, you're faced with copyists, you're faced with self-doubt. You know, I mean, I'm writing a new book now. Well, I've got the pressure of trying to disrupt the 5am club winning formula for the sake of something even more original and more interesting. And so I could, I could stop. I could retire. It'd be a lot easier. I wouldn't have the pressure of a new book. But but what's, you know, I mean, is, is the purpose of life a golf course? Yeah. And, and sunbathing? I think that's awesome. Or is the purpose of life to push your craft to see how far you can materialize your human gifts and to serve as many people as possible. And if, you're, if you really believe in a mission of service mm. and, and, and full creative expression, then you don't stop and you don't retire. And even when people cut your feet out from under you, you get bloodied, you heal, and then you keep on going. Well, that's it. I think there were times in my life where I you know, was doing these amazing producing roles and working with these huge celebrities, but there was this feeling of emptiness. And as soon as I moved into doing what I am now, there's just, I work so hard to do what I do now. And I devote my whole time to servicing the greatest good of, of the world and, and raising human consciousness. And my heart is full just being able to do that. And when you do have those people that come against you, 
it's you know that what you're doing is of the greatest good, so you're able to push through that. How have you been able to do that, especially like you were saying when you brought out the book and there were people that were trying to bring you down? What did you do? Okay, um, that's a brilliant question. I would say a few things. I, I have to go back to the 5 a.m. club. Mm. I have to go back to your habits. I have to go back to my mo- my morning routine, the 2020 formula. I mean, that is, I say in the book, it's the mother of all routines, you know, because you wake up, you give yourself an hour, you run through the 2020 formula or whatever it is, you know, your own f- form of it. But that allows you to battle-proof your mindset. It allows you to purify your heart set. It allows you to get on a treadmill or do yoga or stretching or Pilates to fortify your health set. It allows you to read the right books or pray or meditate so you armor plate your soul set. Now it's 6 o'clock and the slings of critics don't hurt you as much. So I'd say the 5 a.m. club in the victory hour has saved my life. Mm. I would also say the other rituals I talk about in the book, like the second wind workout, five o'clock, going for a nature walk, uh, the two massage protocol, the 60-minute student. So those are very important. How do you protect yourself against critics, doubt, adversity, mm. difficulty, even in the, t- it's, it's your routines. Uh, the second thing I would say is, you know, my, my father is really, I mean, he was a family doctor for 54 years, but in many ways, he's a philosopher. And he used to quote the words of Rabindranath Tagore, the great Bengali poet. And he used to say, Robin, when you were born, you cried while the world's rejoiced. He would say, son, live your life in such a way that when you die, the world cries while you rejoice. Mm. I guess what I'm trying to say is I would take a bullet for the opportunity I've been blessed with to serve. Um, I went to Nelson Mandela's prison cell four years ago and it changed my, it changed my life because it was a cold uh, July day in South Africa. And I stood in that tiny cell and the ANC, former ANC prisoner who was my guide showed me and, and it was, you know, I asked him, I said, did you know Nelson Mandela? Mm. And he said, oh, oh, yes, I did. He said, I actually served with him here on Robben Island for seven years. And of course, I asked the question, I said, well, what was he like? And this gentleman said to me, he goes, oh, that man was a humble servant. And, you know, I don't think this isn't, these are platitudes. And anyone who might be saying these are platitudes, I think they've just got too cynical by a, a hard world. I think ultimately life is incredibly short. Look look what's happening on our planet right now. And when you start to build intimacy with your mortality and you really viscerally, not intellectually, viscerally in your body, in your, in your emotionality, your heart set, start to feel, you know, I don't know how long I get to live. And you actually become intimate with the shortness of life and the duty we all have to make a difference, whether you're a healthcare worker, whether you're a podcaster, whether you're a police officer, whatever you do, the, the game changes and you stop chasing these ego pursuits that we're realizing we never needed. In lockdown, we're re- realizing the watches, the shoes, the whatever, we don't need them. And you start to live much more truly. And I think 
you know, it's the morning routine that has helped me most and my philosophy that has helped me most. You've got a beautiful quote in the 5am club from Rumi that says, keep breaking your heart over and over again till it opens. And I think that's just so unbelievably profound. Why did you use that quote? Because I used to laugh, as a litigation lawyer, I used to laugh at the whole idea of heartbreak. Mm. You know, I was a machine. I was a human doing, not a human being. And that's not my insight. It's been around for a long time. And through life's hurts, I opened up. The more times life broke my heart, the more I suffered, the more my, my ego got cracked and my true strength and my true humanity and authenticity saw the light of day. And I think tragedy has a bad rap in yeah. the world right now. You know, even in the world we're living in right now, all this struggle and suffering is serving us greatly. A bad day for the ego is a great day for the soul. And so what life does is it sends you crises, mm. difficulties, heartbreaks, betrayals. And, and as human beings, our society says, avoid them. But those are the very things that crack us open. And teach us and, and make us not only strong, but truly creative. Look at the great artists. They suffered. Those things make us wise. They make us loving. The, pe the people who were teachers of love, they're the ones that were most attacked. So that's why I used that quote from Rumi in, in the 5 a.m. club. I know that you had something happen a while ago where a lot of your journaling was stolen. I mean, that's obviously your most private thoughts. How did you get over that? Well, I don't know how you know about that. Um, and, you know, good for you to be so intelligent and so well prepared in it. Um, you know, here, here's the most honest way I can answer that. I think one of the greatest lessons in life for a spiritual warrior and someone who, who wants to be a strong leader and a, and a human being that lives at their best is the lesson of letting go. And I've learned that everything that happens to us comes to help us become who we're meant to be. So when the journals were stolen... It was a great lesson in saying, whatever, to let, let go. Yeah, so detachment. Total, total detachment. If I lose my house, so what? Lose my journal, so what? If I lose my, my platform in, in the world right now, so, so what? It's been a great ride. If you can get... Here's, here's an exercise I, exercise I did two weeks ago, just because you're taking me to a place of honesty because you want to go there. Mm. And I, in my journaling, you know what? I, I spent two hours, maybe three about what happens if I lose my life right now? What did you come up so, with? So what? Mm. Well, I, it's a transition. Mm. I'm going to go to a better, I'll go to a better place. I'll go, you know, 
the great Stoic philosophers, anyone who's thinking this is weak or metaphysical, I mean, this is strong. Um, Marcus Aurelius was one of the greatest of all of the Roman emperors, if not the greatest. He was a true warrior. And in his book, The Meditations of Marcus, or Meditations, um, written over a seven-year camp, military campaign, he talked about it. He goes, after you die, your body becomes prey for worms, and you just go back to source or nature. Mm. So when the journals were lost or when we die, we, we just, you know, I mean, I'm working on a new book. And I just, I just said death is, a, I don't want to give too much away because, you know, but one of the chapters is death is a, ho- death is just a hotel room upgrade. Yeah. You just go to a better place. And once you get to a place where you're good with death, then who can hurt you in the world? Well, that's it. I really look to Ramdas for a lot of that stuff because, you know, I've studied a lot of his work and I think he made me really comfortable with the idea of death. But I went through a, a big heartbreak in the last year and you kind of think to yourself, you know, what is what is the universe giving me right now? What do I need to get through to get to the other side? But sometimes it might be years till we find out the answer, but when you know that there is a higher good at play and there is a benevolent divine looking after you, you can just always kind of guide through life and it will be the bad with the good as long as you know that there are learnings that come out of it. Oh, I I couldn't agree with you more. Um, I've learned that life does not hurt you. Life helps you. Mm. And every condition and, and every person that comes into our lives comes into our lives to give us a growth piece that is absolutely necessary for us to step into the next level of world class, the next level of creativity, the next level of bravery, the next level of service. And you're right. I mean, it was not, I think it was Schopenhauer, the German philosopher. And he said, life cannot can only be understood looking backwards, but it must be lived going forwards. Mm. And we, you're right. We only get to connect the dots. Like whether, let's say, let's say it's a relationship breaks our heart when we go through it. Like why, why, why? Well, I don't think that would, he or she who is yours can never be taken away from you. Mm. And that which is yours can never be taken away from you. So if it was, if, if it was not, if, if you don't have it, it wasn't meant to be. And you're right. It, sometimes it's a year, sometimes it's 10 years where we look back and go, oh, totally got it. Now I see the wisdom of what happened. Well, that's it, isn't it? When you can look back at your pain as no longer being that, but as wisdom, then you can really know that you're able to move on as you're not in that place of pain anymore. You talk a lot about breaking habits, which is obviously hard for so many people. Take us through that. Well, in the 5M Club, there's actually a model, and it's called the Habit Installation Protocol. Um, the 5M Club, it's, it's like the monk who sold his Ferrari, uh, written in the form of a story, but it's, it's about habits, and it's about productivity, and it's about elite performance, and it's about philosophy. It's got a lot of neuroscience, it's got, but it's got these models as well, because I think 
um, models are great frameworks to speak to the intellectual part of us. And so you've got the habit installation protocol right there. That's the visual. And there's three phases. And it's really based on this 66-day minimum that based mm. on the the, science, the research at University College of London. As I said, it takes 66 days, not a week, not 21 days, 66 days to reach a point where it becomes easier to get it up at 5 a.m. or easier to work out or whatever the habit is than not to do it. See, we all can change, but most people, they try something for a week and they say, I, I can't do it. It's too hard. It's supposed to be hard. So there's three phases of the habit installation protocol in the book. And the first is destruction. The second is insulation. And the third is integration. So roughly 22 days, you're, you're destroying the old habit. Let's say it's sleeping in, or let's say it's worrying, or let's say it's operating at mediocrity. You, you talked about Ram Das. Well, a lot of the great philosophers will tell you um, what, what, the, what the caterpillar sees at, as the end of the world the master sees as the butterfly. Mm. What I'm trying to say is there must be a death of the old habit for a rebirth of a better habit. Yeah. So it's going gonna, it's, it's gonna to be hard at first. Uh, you're rewiring new neural circuits. You're rewiring new emotional architecture. Of course, it's going to be difficult. 22 days. Second uh, phase in the, in, in the in, um, structure is installation. You're installing the new habit. If you were to look at the brain, you're actually wiring in new neural pathways. And then the third is integration. This is where you actually start to practice the new habit until you reach a point of automaticity, where again, it becomes easier to practice the new habit, like getting up a 5am than not getting up a 5am. You know, a lot of the book is about success, but I think we also need to think about soulfulness. Mm. You know, and I'm I'm a big fan of... Well, I just think, you know, look, I, I, I value success. I'm ambitious. I, I believe in, in all of the, the great things about the world we live in. You know, I love watching the sunsets in Rome at the Spanish Steps. I love swimming with the dolphins in Mauritius, like Mr. Riley in the book. I love, you know, a beautiful dinner. I love great travel. I mean, I miss that a lot right mm. now. It's one of the greatest. I'm such a nomad. I think we all are. I long for the days I can get on an airplane again. So the world is a is a very beautiful place in many ways. And as human beings, we're we're sens- we're sensory sensual creatures. You know, that's one of the things that you know. I think we need to be in the world, but not of the world. Yes, it's not my idea. It's an old idea, but I think there's nothing wrong with that. I've helped people make billions of dollars. You know, my clients include FedEx, IBM. G- IBM Watson, General Electric, uh, Oracle, it goes on and on. Money is fine, but let it not be our God. Let it be our master. So what I'm trying to say is one of the key things Mr. Riley tried to teach his two students in the 5 a.m. club is how to be more creative, how to be more productive, how to be successful in the world. But as you become successful, don't betray your soulfulness. And I think that's what a lot of people are experiencing right now Mm. in the world. You touched on people that obviously have a lot of wealth. And I remember speaking to this big spiritual teacher who travels the world talking to some of the biggest names. And he said to me, you know, it's funny because I speak to people who are billionaires and they are really unhappy. And then I speak to people that are not so wealthy 
and they are unhappy too, but the people that are not as wealthy think they still have that hope. Oh, when I get more money, when I'm this and I'm that, I'll be happier. The people at the top are like, I have everything and I'm not happy and they are deep in despair. So that's why I feel like this soul, this place of soul is so unbelievably important. Well, I mean, this is why I think the concept of heart set, the four interior mm. empires from the book, you know, everyone is talking about mindset. And I say with great respect, mindset is only 25% of the personal mastery equation yes. because mindset is your cognition. Mindset is your intellect. Mindset is your psychology. You can read about being a billionaire. You can read about happiness. That doesn't mean you're going to feel it. Mm. So there's mindset, and then the 20, other 25% is heart set, health set, and soul set. But I think just to double down on heart set, I think what happens is, I, I suggest this is very powerful. The world says, live in your head. The world says, numb your feelings. The world says, good girls, good boys, don't cry from the time we're little kids. So when we get hurt or disappointed in life, we start to swallow our feelings. The more we get disappointed, the more we get hurt, it happens every day, get caught off in traffic or lose a promotion or lose a love. All those things that happen to a human being, we start this great repression of our feelings. Makes mm. sense, right? And I know you know what I'm talking yeah, about. Yeah, of course. Here's what, here's what starts to happen. And I think it happens to almost every human being on the planet. We then start hiding in our head because we're too afraid to feel. Okay, so heart mindset is everything. We can think, we watch the podcast, we read. We're living in our heads, but we're not feeling. Mm. Well, if you're not feeling, first of all, you don't know. Yes, you don't feel the pain. You don't feel the anger. You don't feel the sorrow. Nice move, it seems. But you don't feel the gratitude. Mm. You don't feel the joy. You don't feel the wonder. So what starts happening is you start living your life in your head and it becomes all about the messaging the world says is what success is about. So you're, you're chasing money, fame, fortune. You're not feeling anything. So you're polluting the environment. Mm. You're hurting communities. You're hurting other human beings. You're betraying other people. And, and you're successful, but you're empty. And it's not until you start doing that deep healing work where you start to feel not only the pain and the anger and the shame and the disappointment, but you, you also start to feel the glory and the power and the love and the creativity that you start to wake up as a human being. And the paradox is as you start to wake up inside, you go out in the world and you start doing amazing things. have you managed to get out of your ego and stay in your heart? And especially when you started, your profile started to grow. It's the, the 5 a.m. club. Mm. You know, that's why you asked about habits. Habit researchers have a term called the keystone habit. And that is the one habit that if you practice it, every other habit rises with it. And I think the 5 a.m., I'm sure the 5 a.m. club, it's the keystone habit. I mean, forget about all the other things that we all want to do. One step at a time. Confucius or Lao Tzu said, the thousand mile journey begins with a single step. 
Just commit to getting up at 5 a.m. every day, running the 2020-20 formula for 66 days until you wire it in to autom automatic. And then what starts happening is you start to get to know who you truly are again. You know, you start to do the meditation, you start to do the exercise, you start to do the journaling. And as you start to do that, you start taking off the mask and you start, you know, again, it's the, the tactics like journaling, meditation, prayer, silence, nature walks. But also, if you want to go deeper, I mean, I, I spent four hours in a sweat lodge sweating out my lack of forgiveness. Mm. I've done acupuncture. I've done hypnotherapy. I've done Reiki. I mean, it just goes on and on. And every meditation counts. Every journaling session counts. Every nature walk counts. Every conversation with a wise person transforms you at a micro level. And the more you do this interior work in a world that says success comes from who you are on the outside, the more you don't the more you silence the loud screams of the ego and you start to hear the silent whispers of your inner warrior, your inner hero. And the more you start to listen to those whispers, I know it sounds philosophical, but our, as I say in the 5am club, your heart is wiser than your head. Your instinct is more powerful than your intellect because your intellect is just what the world taught you. And that's very limited because the world used to teach us the world was flat. The world used to teach us that, you know, all these fall, you know, four minute mile, the instinct. And as we start to develop intimacy with our instinct, we become brave and we don't listen to our ego. I mean, I was watching the, the Miles Davis documentary that just came out and, you know, Miles Davis was incredible. He, he disrupted jazz. And then once he did that, you know, the, the, the late sixties came and everyone was in acid and rock and all this. And he, he shed the custom suits and the traditional jazz and he started playing funk and then he disrupted again. And his, his son was interviewed and his, his son said, you know, Dad never had any of his old albums at home. And the documentarian said, why not? And he said, well, he was just interested in the future. Mm. And what, what I'm trying to say is you can't go into the future and you can't trust yourself if you're stuck in, in your ego. You know, it's funny. I was actually speaking to someone the other day about this. They were asking me about some of the people I've interviewed. And the people that I've interviewed who are the most successful and have achieved the most for humankind are the ones whose ego is barely there. They have all the money in the world now, but they were never out for that to be the number one thing. And even now when they have, they have given their lives to the cause, they are the ones whose ego is just, it's barely there. And they are so loved and so unbelievably successful. And when you meet them, they're all very similar people. It's so exquisite to see. Well, here's here's something I'd love to, to know what you think. Um, did you ever see the, uh, I, I know he's a great Australian, I believe, um, Russell Crowe, right? Yeah. And did you ever see A Beautiful Mind? Yes. You remember at the very end, he, he still suffered from, <clears throat> I believe it was schizophrenia. Yeah, yeah. He said, those voices are still there. I, he said something like, I just don't listen to them anymore. 
And here's what I'd love to know from you, Sarah. I'd love, you know, I wonder whether the great humanitarians and the great leaders, I wonder whether they lost their ego. I believe some enlightened souls had no ego. Mm. Got it. But the, the great men and women of the world, I wonder if it was less about them losing their egos and much more about them knowing they had them. And they were there, like those people in the end of A Beautiful Mind, mm. but they just weren't plugged into them anymore. I don't know what you think. I agree. Your ego is always going to be there. You can't live without your ego. But I, I, I believe that they know now through doing all the work that they do how to quieten the chatter of that ego and really live through the soul from their highest, highest place. Yeah, and I think, you know, I think, um, <clears throat> you know, there's a lot of talk about legacy these days. Mm. And about, uh, about 22 years ago, I wrote a book called Who Will Cry When You Die? And oh, I believe so much in legacy. Now, if you were to ask me, what do I think about legacy? I would say, don't spend much time on it because you'll be dead. We'll be dead. We don't remember most of the great queens, kings, emperors, titans. And, and I think what's important is to connect with the fact that life is ultimately very short. Mm. I mean, there's a great book. um, It's called the shortness of life by Seneca. And I was reading it the other morning and he said, so I'll just sort of paraphrase it. So many great rulers lived their lives so they could have a year named after them. And, but for the sake of one line on, on an epitaph, I mean, we, we live our lives chasing fame and likes and houses and net worth all for the sake of a line in a rusty old cemetery on a tombstone. We don't matter that much. And once we actually get that, not only mindset, but heart set, because all learning happens in the body. Yes. All learning happens emotionally, not cognitively. That's part of it. But, you know, real learning is when you feel it as, oh, got it as a known truth. And when we know that I'm, I'm, I'm no one special, you know, someone po- did a post on my Instagram, Robin, I'll always look up to you. I replied to her. I go, Sharon, don't look up to me. I'm no one's. I'm no one's. Special. I, I don't want anyone to look up at me. Yeah. I'm flawed. But once we realize life is short, we're nothing. I mean, Deepak Chopra spoke on my stage at the, my final Titan summit, uh, summit last December. Mm. And he took us on this tour de force about, you know, the world and the galaxies. And it was all based on a lot of great science. But we're, we're a little planet in a galaxy of trillions of planets. We're not that important. Once you realize that, we shift from taking from, from the world to, to asking ourselves, how can I be creative? How can I do my dreams? How can I honor my, my talents? How can I treat people with integrity? How can I serve the world in my own unique way? And it's it's a whole different way of it's a whole different game. But I think it's you know it's Mr. Riley in the five a.m. club. Mm. He became successful, but he didn't take it too seriously. It's true, uh, and that is that if you can keep that playful behavior, that is what everyone I've spoken to has taught me. If you can just be loose, be like a child, keep that playful behaviour, that's when you'll see your life completely unfold in the most magical of ways. 
Robin, when you reflect on on your life, all the things that you've done and achieved, what are you most proud of? Well, I, I would say uh, my family. You know, I have two. <clears throat> I did. I did some gratitude in my journaling this morning. I have two unbelievably uh, humble, grounded, respectful, good-hearted children. Uh, so that's a huge um, thing I'm proud of. I'd say um, I'm proud of the body of work, especially the Five AM Club. I spent four years of my life in in deep devotion to make that book the best thing I've ever put out. I don't just say that because I'm on your podcast. I um, I put my heart, my soul, you can so tell. much of myself in. And I just, that the art, you know, mm. the art pieces from, from May in China, I had to track her down. Every line, every, I mean, I went through 50 iterations of the manuscript. I mean, that's, that's for another conversation, but I'm really proud of the 5M Club. And I'm, I'm proud of, um, you know, I, I, I come from very humble beginnings, a very small little house in a town of about 2,000 people in a little place called Port Hawkesbury, Nova Scotia. Um, and to, to have served, um, the people that I've been blessed to serve, um, is a, is a great, I feel it, it's been a great honor and yeah, it's not, I'm not special, but just mm. the ability to help people is, is a very, um, makes me feel good. What is your greatest hope for society? My greatest hope is that, <clears throat> people will make the journey back home to who they truly are. Mm. I believe we are born into genius and we are brainwashed out of it. Uh, we are, we are born with soaring talents and it doesn't mean you're going to be Basquiat, but a, an, a street sweeper can, can radiate possibility. And so every human being is born into this talent or our original greatness. And then through the world, through getting hurt, through messaging of society, we, 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 we form a, a mask over our native gifts and we, we dim our light. And then we, we're like, like I said, you know, we're, we're in 20, our 20s or 30s or 40s or 50s and we, we get cynical you know, I, I did a post on Instagram recently. It's never allow a hard world to close your heart, mm. to keep your heart open. And that's not flaky. You know, keep, keep your heart open, keep your gifts open, keep, keep your fidelity to your dreams, you know, keep your integrity open, keep your bravery open. So if you can keep your heart open in this cold world, that's the stuff of heroism. Yeah. So, you know, my, my wish is that people would, do, would join the 5 a.m. club do the 2020 formula that is helping so many millions of people right now and start the process. It's not going to happen in a day. Start the process of remembering your greatness, your talents, your bravery, your love, your creativity, so that the rest of your life is spent reclaiming who you truly are, not only so you live a great life, so you model possibility for your family, your community, and society. You mentioned you prayed. What's your favorite prayer? Um, one of them is <clears throat> um, 
it's see a, a lot of life brings up stuff for me so let's say i feel irritated about something i know that's low grade anger mm. so the prayer would be please help me move through this amid great beauty great health great peace at a pace that i can handle and move into love the radiant love that i am beautiful What's the best advice you've ever been given? So much. Um, one, when I was 21 years old from a mentor, run your own race. Mm. <clears throat> Eleanor Roosevelt said, comparison is the thief of joy. Run your own. Oh, it's hard. How true I know it's is hard. that? It's, it's, it's totally true, mm. but we're neurobiologically, the reptilian brain, we are tribal, so we're neurologically hardwired to compare. That's why social media likes are creating so much anxiety. It's a neurobiological mechanism, but we must break free of our animal instinct and, and, and work again through the methodologies we've talked about, compare less. And um, yeah, so, so run your own race. Like, you know, just don't li live life on your own terms, find your own scoreboard. And even if everyone laughs at you, develop, Develop the interior courage to say, hey, this is what's important to me. You might think I'm unsuccessful, but to me, I'm successful. I think that's important. And I think the second thing that someone has said to me would be, you know, my dad coming back to being of use, being being an instrument of service, uh, be, being helpful. What is a life of greatness to you? A life of greatness is a life spent balancing, honoring, soaring ambition and creativity and tasting the juice of life with cycles of time in the wilderness, embracing non-doing, healing, and intimacy with our quietest selves. Robin Sharma, thank you for providing your knowledge to so many millions of people so they can make their life great. It's been, uh, it's been a privilege. It's been really fun, Sarah. Thank you so much. If you've enjoyed this episode, then I'd love you to join my community on Instagram at Sarah Grimberg, where we post videos and behind-the-scenes footage of each recording. You can also join my private Facebook group, Live Life Greatly where we discuss the content in this episode and many more, as well as give advice and tips on how to live a life of love and meaning. To purchase my ebook, Finding Greatness, head to sarahgrimberg.com. And if you love what you heard, then we'd love you to hit subscribe on Apple Podcasts or your favourite podcast app and leave a five-star review. It will help us share this wisdom with others. A Life of Greatness's executive producer is me, Sarah Grimberg. Audio producers, Matt Nikolich and Darcy Thompson. Special thanks to Grant Tothill for bringing this dream to life. For more episodes, search A Life of Greatness podcast, download the new listener app now and listen for free. Listener.